So last week, uh, Pastor Doug started us through our journey through the book of James by talking about how God commands us to count it all joy when we encounter various trials. And James says the reason we can do that is because when we respond in faith to those trials, we affirm the reality of our faith and gain endurance, which leads us to maturity and growing to be more and more like Christ. Now, if you're like me, that's way easier to say than it is to do, uh, but James has more help for us here. The book of James isn't some high-minded academic textbook. You might even call James the, the blue-collar scholar because he has help for us here about what this looks like and how we can do it. James, want, James wants us to grow in a street-level faith where we can manage and find joy in our difficulties no matter what's going on. Our passage this morning is full of truth to help us do that. Let's read together James 1, 12 through 18. James 1, 12 through 18. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. We say two ways to respond to trials, difficulties, in this passage. Verse 12 says, if we remain steadfast, if we endure and pass the test, proving the genuineness of our faith and our love for God, we are blessed, and we will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Or we can fail the test. And in our passage this morning, James warns us about two lies we can believe that will cause us to fail the test. That it's God's fault when I sin, and that God is not good. Unless you think this is just a problem for back in James's day, have you ever found yourself saying when you're angry or you've sinned, I'm only human, or what did you expect me to do? Or she made me so mad. Or maybe you've caught yourself doubting God's goodness or complaining when disaster strikes, when the tire goes flat, or when the kids catch a cold again. If we're being honest, we fail these tests a lot. But there is good news for us in these verses. The gospel is on full display. Tim Keller often says this about the gospel. This is the gospel. You are more sinful and flawed than you ever dared believe, and you are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than you ever dared hope. God knows you won't pass every test. God knows that you often fail to find joy in suffering, but he loves you and accepts you in Christ, and he offers you life-changing grace to trust him, to repent when you do fail, 
and to see his goodness and love for you so that you can endure even when it seems impossible. During our time together this morning, we're gonna look at those two lies that James warns us about, that it's God's fault I'm sinning and that God is not good. And then we'll also look at how God wants us to respond. And James gives us some street-level wisdom for fighting against those lies. As part of that, we'll see that God's given us good gifts, means of grace, so that we can endure and find joy during trials. Our main point from this passage is that James tells us there are two lies that can cause us to fail spiritual tests because he wants us to pass the test and receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. First lie. It's God's fault I'm sinning. In verse 13, James says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. The word for tempted in this verse is the same word for trial that James used in verses 2 and 12. The reason it's translated tempted here is because James is trying to contrast the two different ways that we can respond to trials. We can either respond in trust and perseverance and pass the test, or we can fail the test. And James says that one of the ways we can fail this test is if we blame God for giving into temptation. And 2,000 years later, we still have that same temptation to blame God or others for our sin. Maybe we say, God, well, I wouldn't have sinned if you hadn't sent this difficult situation my way. Or maybe we say, God, how could you expect me to do anything different? I'm only human. Or maybe we even accuse God of setting us up to fail. But James stops us in our tracks. God is not tempted to give into evil, and he does not try to entice us or lure us into evil either. Only an evil person wants others to do evil. God is sovereign over the circumstances that bring the trial, but he does not want us to fail in that trial. God does not tempt us to sin. In fact, in verse 14, we see, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Jesus calls out our blame shifting by saying, you have no one to blame for your sin but yourself. Your spouse didn't make you sin. Your boss or coworker didn't make you sin. Your brother or sister didn't make you sin. God didn't make you sin. We sin when our own sinful heart is tempted and gives in. It was the anger, pride, greed, and lust that lived in our own sinful nature. It said, no matter what, I'm going to try to cope with, I'm going to try to escape with from this trial, no matter what I have to do, even if I sin. And James doesn't pull any punches. He stops us from blaming God and tells us to look in the mirror. James then reminds us of the deadliness of where our sinful nature takes us if we give in to temptation. Verse 15, then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. If we don't pull the plug on those sinful desires, if we let them linger and even play with them a little bit, they grow stronger. James says our unchecked sinful desires give birth to sin, and if we don't repent from that sin, if we play with it and make excuses for it, it will grow stronger 
and it will destroy us. We're all tempted to believe the lie that it's God's fault when we sin, but we're usually somewhere on a spectrum. We don't usually blame God so directly. But you might be guilty for falling for this lie if you're always seeking to blame someone or something else for your sins. They made me so mad. I wouldn't have fudged my time card if they paid me better or treated me better. Or maybe your anger does burn a little bit closer to God. God, if only you'd give me a spouse, then I wouldn't be sinning sexually. God, if only you gave me a better spouse or better children, then I wouldn't be so angry. God, if only you gave me a better salary, then I wouldn't have to cut corners like this. Or I had to lie. Who knows what would have happened to me if I told the truth? And maybe you've started to believe this lie in a way that sounds almost biblical. Well, God, I, I know you're in control of all things, and here I am, still struggling, still tempted by, still sinning in this way. I guess this is your will. Or maybe it won't be your will when you change my circumstances or, or give me a better heart. Until then, the, the ball's kind of in your court. Brothers and sisters, these are lies. Don't believe them. God does not tempt us. God does not want you to sin. God is not responsible for your sin. Difficult circumstances don't make you sin. Difficult people don't make you sin. God doesn't make you sin. We sin when our own hearts tempt us and lure us to give in. It's our sin that says, you need to do whatever it takes to get out of this. And I get it. When trials are hard, when you've had to wait for years or decades, it can seem like you don't have any other choice. You can feel powerless to resist sin or powerless to endure. But if you believe in Jesus, God already has given you that new heart and he has given you the Holy Spirit who can empower obedience may not always feel like it. That old, lingering, sinful nature still feels awfully strong. But, the, but it's a lie. Don't believe it. Remember God's truth. You are no longer a slave to sin. When you feel weak, God is strong. God always provides a way of escape and to endure the trial. And the risen Christ who said no to temptation and who defeated sin and death lives within you. Brothers and sisters, James wants you to endure trials and temptations so that you can gain the crown of life. Don't believe the lie that it's God's fault when you sin. Second lie, God is not good. In verse 16, James says, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. He's going to warn us about a second lie we can tell ourselves when we're in the midst of trial and suffering. God is not good. And this one is hard. We know God is sovereign. We know he's all-powerful. But here we are. We've got bills we can't pay lost job, 
bad boss, health diagnosis, chronic pain, grieving a loved one, hurt or abused, injustice with no relief. And so the temptation can be to believe that God is not good. James knows these things happen. He's writing to people who are familiar with suffering and persecution. And he doesn't want you to put on a plastic smile and pretend it's all okay, but he loves you too much to let you think it's because God does not love you and that God is not good. Look at how he starts verse 17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. There's at least four things that God wants us to remember about God to counteract the lie that God is not good. Number one, God is a giver of good and perfect gifts. Just like in the previous verses, when James said that God is not tempted by evil and does not tempt anyone, the logic is similar here. God is not bad. These trials from God are not bad gifts because God is a giver of good and perfect gifts. That's who he is. He is a perfect in his gift-giving nature, and his nature is perfect, and his heart is full of abundant grace and love toward us. Number two, God is the creator of all things. The phrase Father of Lights was a reminder that God created everything, including the lights in the heavens, the sun, moon, and stars, which are a constant reminder of God's power and majesty. This reference to God as creator should remind us of Job. When Job was going through his suffering and trying to understand, God reminded him that Yahweh is the one who has created all things. God is the one who is running the universe and holding it all together. When we question God's goodness, we are like balls of clay talking back to our potter, questioning what he's doing. The reminder here is to be humble before God, the Father of lights, who is the author of all things, including our life, and to trust that he knows what he's doing. Number three, God does not change. We see this reminder when James says that there is no variation or shadow due to change with God. James just reminded us that God made the sun, moon, and stars, which do move and appear to change. We see them shift in the sky. We see the moon go through phases. We even see eclipses that blot out the light of the sun and the moon. So James wants us to know that God does not change like his creation does. It might look like he's changing, like he's departing from his good gift-giving ways, but he's not. Just like the moon doesn't always appear round, but we know it's always round, so it is with God. No matter how things appear in our trials, God has always been good, God is always good, and God will always be good. Number four, God is our Father. James says that these gifts come down from the Father of lights, but God did not just make the sun, moon, and stars, he also made us. And it's you and I who are made in his image. God is not just a random gift giver, he is our Father. 
And this should remind us of Matthew 7, 9 through 12. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If then you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Jesus reminds us that if our earthly fathers know how to give good gifts and not bad ones, how much more will our heavenly Father understand what kind of good gifts to give us? God is not our enemy. He is not an aloof landlord. He is our Father. And he gives good gifts to his children. Charles Spurgeon has a great quote Remember this, had any other condition been better for you than the one in which you are, divine love would have put you there. I want to pull at that one a little bit more because one of the trickiest parts of the lie that God is not good is that it doesn't always feel like we're living in God's loving best for us. Bad things do happen to us. God isn't asking us to call bad things good. Bad things are bad things. Pain and suffering and death are symptoms of this sin-filled and broken world. And when we're in heaven, they won't be there anymore. But since those things happen now, how can we say that God gives us good gifts? How can we say that this is God's best for us? I'll offer you two truths to wrestle with. Number one, God knows what is best for us. Just like a father knows what is best for his children and won't let them play in the highway or eat all the ice cream that they want, God will only do what is actually good and helpful and best for us. And since he is all wise and all knowing and all good, we need to trust his judgment. If we were the authors of our own life, it would be all good times all the time. But there are things that we only learn through trial and suffering. And that's part of what James means when he says that enduring trials makes us perfect and complete. Perseverance through suffering does more than just display our faith. It's like the refiner's fire that strengthens and purifies our faith. Trials are like a workout for our faith. They can hurt and be hard in the moment. They don't look like gifts that we would have picked for ourselves. But if we persevere, they result in a stronger faith and a deeper love for God as we see him lovingly bring us closer to him and more like Jesus. Number two, I know some of you have gone through trials that are more than just a workout. You've suffered so much, it feels like the weights from that machine broke off and are crushing the life out of you. And you just can't understand why God would send that your way or how that could possibly help you. 
how can an all-powerful God allow that to happen to you and still call himself good? If that's where you are right now, please come to us. We'll have people up at the front of the service afterwards to pray with you. You can grab me, one of the other pastors. Uh, we would love to pray with you, to weep with you, to bear your burdens with you, and to pray for you. But I'd also like to give you some truths that may give you something to hold on to. God hates evil even more than you do. God is more grieved at your pain and suffering than you are. In fact, he was so grieved and loved you so much that he sent his only son to live the perfect, persevering life that we could not and to die to take the punishment our sins deserve so that anyone who believes in him can be reborn as a new creation, no longer a slave to sin and no longer sentenced to the death that sin brings. Verse 18 reminds us of this when it says, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creation. The word of truth is the gospel, what we just talked about. And verse 18 reminds us that God saw us in our lostness. He saw how we were doomed and suffering and he did something about it. Of his own will, through the good news of what Jesus has done for us, he offers that anyone who believes in Jesus will become a new creation. And that new creation is just the first fruits, just the beginning of that full redemption that God has set in motion. God will make everything new. God will end suffering and death. And no matter how bad our trials get in this life, we can always hold on to that truth. God has already solved the biggest problem we had. And God has already given us the best gift of all, salvation and adoption into his family. And if we endure and remain steadfast, he will give us the crown of life, that perfect life in heaven with him where all things will be made right. You might say, well, why is he waiting so long? Why doesn't he just poof, make it happen? Make all the bad stuff gone now. Well, one reason the Bible tells us is that he waits so that as many people as who will believe in him will be saved. But there's still more help until we get to that day. We see in the example of Jesus that the Redeemer God is a master in taking what is evil and redeeming it for good. Jesus, God himself, was mocked, rejected, abandoned, betrayed, tortured, murdered, suffered the full punishment for our sins, even while he was completely innocent. He chose to subject himself to that because of his love for us. But God took the greatest evil that ever happened in the world and turned it into the greatest good the world would ever see. And God gives us that same promise. Romans 8.28 says that God works all things together for good for those who trust him. That means that every trial and suffering that comes our way, God agrees that they are bad, they won't be in heaven, 
But for believers, God promises to redeem those things. He will use them for good. We don't always understand how, especially right away, but that is a promise from our Redeemer God. He will work it for good. Brothers and sisters, James wants you to endure trials and temptations so that you will receive the crown of life. So don't believe the lie that God is not good. God is always good. Okay, we've covered a lot of lies and a lot of truth from what we've seen in James, but before we end, I wanna give you four practical street-level tools, gifts from your father that you can use to help you persevere while you're suffering. Number one, memorize a verse to hold on to. Find a verse that speaks to your struggle. And listen, I know when you're in the seas of suffering, sometimes these verses can sound like trite cliches. Count it all joy. Remember, God all works, thing, works all things together for good. We're all different. Our hearts can be in different places and need different encouragement at different times. But I promise you, there's a promise in God's word for where you are right now. He loves you too much for there not to be. So find it. Be reading God's word. Be asking your brothers and sisters what verses have helped them. Talk to your home group leader or one of the elders if there's passages that have helped them in their life. But find a verse that you can memorize and hold on to so that when the winds and waves and rain of suffering are beating down on you, God's word will be your refuge and your strength. There is power in the promises of God. Number two, pray honestly, earnestly, and faithfully. The temptation when you're suffering is to retreat. Maybe you're trying to distract yourself from the suffering that you're in. Maybe you're angry with God for not delivering you from the trial. But this is the exact moment when you need God the most. And listen, you don't have to have fancy sounding words. You don't have to go to God with a plastic smiled face. The Psalms are filled with painfully honest, raw cries and prayers for deliverance people who are honest with how they're feeling and how they even feel like God has abandoned them, but they're still going to God for help. That's the street-level wisdom that James wants for us. Trials will either drive us away from God or deeper into his arms. And I get it. Sometimes it's hard to pray when you're suffering. Maybe you've asked God for deliverance for what feels like a thousand times. The Psalms are filled with the phrase, how long, O Lord? You've asked him for deliverance and nothing has changed. So you stop praying. Ask for God's help to see your suffering through his eyes. He has a reason for it. Ask him to help you wait on him. Thank him 
for working through the badness of your circumstances for how he promises to redeem it for good. Even when the answer to your prayers is no or wait, thank him for what is doing most loving for you in that moment and ask him to help you rest in and trust that promise. Number three, listen to and sing songs that bind your heart to him. Music speaks to us in ways that words sometimes can't. Music can stir our hearts and get stuck in our heads. And God knows this because this is how he made us. And this is why we see commands in Ephesians and Colossians to encourage one another with songs and psalms and spiritual songs. And depending on how you're feeling, you might not be ready to sing, but listen. Let the words and the melody work on your heart. Grace has a Spotify playlist you can find on our website, but find a song or two that can be your lifeline when you feel like your life is stuck in a minor key. Number four, be Jesus' hands and feet to other sufferers. James wrote this book to a group of believers, and all these commands are in the plural. This is something we're supposed to do together. And one of the ways these trials equip us and complete us is by making us more like Jesus. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He suffered and was tempted like we are, but without sin. So he can sympathize with our struggles and our weaknesses. And even now, he is interceding for us, praying for us before God the Father. And part of becoming like Jesus is doing that for others. You've probably experienced this when you're going through trials or suffering, that oftentimes it's someone who's gone through a situation very similar to you that's able to offer you the most encouragement. They know what you've had to walk through. They know what you're carrying. They can weep with you. They can hold you. They can pray for you. They can share how God carried them through a similar situation. They can be that in-the-flesh extension of your Savior as God loves you through them. Don't isolate yourself when you're suffering. Be vulnerable. Ask for help. And be that person in someone else's life too. That may be part of God's redemptive purpose in your story that you're able to help encourage and comfort someone who's healing from their own pain. Brothers and sisters, don't fall for the lies that James warns us about here. God is not responsible for your sin, and God is good. James wants to give you street-level wisdom so that you can endure and pass the test and gain the crown of life. The next time you're in a trial, remember, God does not tempt you, God is good, and he redeems every bit of your suffering. Remember that Jesus, the Redeemer, lives inside of you, and he's given you brothers and sisters to hug you, to hold you, to pray with you, to love you, and to laugh with you. And remember the promise of Isaiah 61.3. When the year of God's favor comes, he will comfort all who mourn. 
and he will bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, and the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Let's pray together. Father, we are so grateful for the gift of your word that you have practical help for us and how to respond to the suffering we get. Father, thank you for the gift of your son who suffered and understands the weakness that we have. Thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit who empowers our obedience. Thank you that you were not content to leave us lost in our sin and suffering, but you did something about it, that you sent Jesus to do what we could not, and that if we believe in him, we are united to you. We have the power of Jesus inside of us to endure and persevere, and that we have the promise that one day you will make everything new. You will end our trials and our suffering and death, and we will be with you forever in heaven if we trust you. Father, keep our eyes set on you. We need your help. We cannot do this alone. Pray these things in your name. Amen.